Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, everyone, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. I think I was a little late with my cue just there. I had a little, really? I don't know, I think I took, a, I took a minute there. This is the show for you and by you, <laughs> virtual <laughs> community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper into your life than you may do on your own. We are the show that is grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit, offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. My name is Callie Alpert here in the central Hudson Valley in New York with my dear friend, co-host and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. So nice to see you, Callie. So nice to see you. And we have the benefit of seeing each other, even though everybody else can only hear us. It's been a while and I've kind of forgotten what you look like. (laughs) Has it been a while? Yeah. A whole like two days or something. (laughs) Yeah, I think about two days. I know. Sometimes it does feel long. Yeah. But I must tell you, I'm on the verge of something. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm on the verge of something called deep empathy. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coming on. Oh, really? You're just starting to feel it now toward um, all the people of the world? I am. It's beautiful. (laughs) Highly recommending it. All right. Well, good. Thank you for that segue, because we're going to talk about that today. So isn't that um, timely? Very psychic and empathetic. You are very psychic. So we ask our listeners today, do you know how to walk in other people's moccasins? And that's how the original saying goes. (laughs) I think many people, uh, including myself, were accustomed to walking in other people's shoes. But moccasins definitely has more uh, lore and history to it. Can you easily tap into other people's feelings and experiences? Well, today the magic word is empathy. It's central to all successful relationships. And for some people, empathy comes naturally, sometimes even to the extreme degrees where even a stranger's emotions become your own. For other people, often on the narcissistic spectrum um, as the other side of the continuum, which we'll also talk about, empathy is a foreign concept. So as we emerge from a devastating global pandemic, the hope is that we also emerge with more empathy for others and for ourselves, which is where it all starts. So today we're going to talk about the ways to develop empathy, the importance of empathy, and how to best use it as a tool to improve your life. So mm-hmm. welcome, everyone. So when we were talking the other day about this show, I said, what's the proper um, verbiage? Is it empathic or empathetic? And I stumped you for a few seconds. It was like something that neither of I mean, I've thought about it because I always just want to know that I'm using the, my words correctly. At least I try. But both have been used in common vernacular for a really long time. So yeah, what, empathy, what did we empathy, find? Didn't we discover that empathy came first? It did. 1909, I think. 1909, translated from the German. Right. And it was about what, what we found was pretty interesting was that empathy had to do with one's uh, openness toward the natural world. Right. Yeah. It was like through art and more like spiritual than it was um, about, you know, people related or emotion related. Right. Exactly. Which is pretty cool. And then it was translated from the German by a psychologist whose name I have forgotten. As have I. And uh, it became empathetic. So do we just do we decide which one we're going to use today and do we care? (laughs) We don't we don't care at all. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I was representing. Um, So one of the one of the ways we sort of wanted to springboard into this conversation today was to look at the idea of empathy versus sympathy, sympathy being another word Mm. that's often used. Um, And as you so aptly said, you know, Hallmark doesn't sell empathy cards, it sells sympathy cards, which I thought was a really interesting telling um, 
to sort of thought about which one is more accepted or more common or more commercialized. And we kind of came up with a few different versions, not versions, but just a, a baseline for what the difference between the two of them is, right? Did we? We did. <laughs> no, I thought it was very interesting that you can't get an empathy card. Yeah. And because empathy is complicated, it demands something from you. Um, it demands the ability to feel what another person is experiencing. When you are sympathetic, it's possible you'd be sympathetic and empathetic. Mm -hmm. But it's also possible that you could just buy the card that says in sympathy for something and send it away and still feel that you've been a responsible human. <laughs> so sympathy can be very cognitive and mental, mm -hmm. whereas empathy definitely demands both cognitive and feeling or heart-centeredness about it. Right. So we could say in some ways empathy is more in your body, more of a visceral experience, yeah. and then sympathy is more of a heart-slash-heart-head. Heart-slash-heart-head-head, period. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, just to think about it, because, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with sympathy. I don't think many people think of sympathy and think of it as having limitations, but when you compare it to its um, older brother empathy, it, you know, it definitely uh, has certain nuances. It's almost like it's, I'm seeing a pyramid in my mind's eye now as if there's uh, like building blocks to get from uh -huh. one to the other somehow. I don't know. Oh, it's nice. I like that. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, the other distinction that we made is that uh, sympathy might be more an ego. Empathy m might be more non-ego because empathy requires that you, again, different shades of it, but that you meld with another person's experience to some degree or feel another person's experience, which suggests more of a sense of unity and less separation, right? Where sympathy, again, generalizing sympathy comes more from a place of being outside that other person's experience. And really, um, and we'll talk about this more as the show goes on, uh, the only way um, I take that back, mm -hmm. um, w one way that you can develop empathy is through being empathetic toward yourself. Yes. Being open to the nuances that you are, the different shades and colors of your personality makeup. Um, and so it demand, that's what I meant by using the word demands. It demands more inner understanding, inner compassion, inner work that we do on ourselves to really have empathy. But then I stop myself because some people are born with empathy. Right. So we're going to get to that. I wanted to also say that uh, for anybody that would like to join us today, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any share um, stories you'd like to share, comments, questions, any guidance that you'd like to um, let you'd like help with, the number today, every day here on Unity <laughs> is 816-251-3555. Please give us a call. In fact, we have a caller right now. So let's jump in, shall we? Shall we? Hi, caller. Are you on the line? Yes, hi, good afternoon. Hi, <clears throat> who do we have today? What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Maria. I'm calling from Northern California. Welcome, I'm, Maria. Thanks uh, for joining today. I see your topic, and what really comes to mind for me in my situation is where is the empathy in, like, the medical system with doctors, nurses, staff? Um, it's so broken. It's so mm. negligent. and I can't even get appropriate medical care. I can't ask for a referral mm. and just have it done. Um, mm. I can make some things done, but then the staff will stop calling back. Or it just becomes this huge fight when they make empty promises and then nothing happens. So at this point, I'm pretty much with no medical care. I'm told, go call crisis lines if you have any mental health issue. Well, that doesn't help. Um, I tried again today, and I'm at my wit's end because I keep trying, giving up, trying, and then the same circle keeps happening. So I literally don't have anyone to hmm. 
reach out to and actually talk to, get help, listen, support, whether it's physical or mental, because it's mm. just so um, the latest was um, I agreed to get evaluated for medication. Um, I normally am opposed to that unless it's uh, holistic, but now it's either I do that, get no counseling help or cancel that, try and get a drive by a little bit of something um, by lowering the um, tier to another level. Um, mm-hmm. But it becomes where every conversation is a fight. Um, I have no more patience and tolerance because I've had this yeah. conversation over 50 times, literally. Um, so I don't know what else I can do. I've reached out to everything I can, even pastoral care. And it's just, I don't know where the help is anymore. <laughs> mm. so. Well, one thing I want to say is, um, first of all, I really feel for you. And I, as somebody who can get, a lot of us can get extremely frustrated with the bureaucracy around things that we ideally would like to think are based on heart and help and humanity. Um, have become progressively more disappointing. Uh, it's always been uh, a, a sort of a, uh, a trigger kill on so many different levels for me, just yeah, dealing, especially when you're in a place of need and vulnerability and you're brave enough to seek out help. So number mm-hmm. one, we feel for you. Um, uh, do you want to speak a little more specifically? Like, is there some version of help that perhaps we can offer to you? If you could narrow it down. Um. I'm the real, honestly, I don't know what counseling services are even available anymore. Um, it's, I, unless I get new insurance pay for it out of pocket or find some fee for service, um, it just seems that if you're sick, don't get into medical, don't ask for help because um, you're not going to get it. Um, so my energy just gets worse and worse to where it right. just keeps kind of manifesting that. Um, right. But I, I I understand I have to change my energy to make things better. But when you're in pain, it's like, why can't we get loved through it rather than more pain, <laughs> more suffering? Um, I've had crisis lines hang up on me. I've had, like, every scenario um, or just, like, a circle. I tried going to grievance recently, um, one of the grievance processes, and they're just, they just sent me back to the same people that weren't doing their job. So, right. um, I mean, there is one thing, a I couple things I can hoping. suggest to you. Um, there are a place where I worked when I first started um, in my psychology training. Mm-hmm. This is, a, again, for mental health and not for the physical part of it. But mm-hmm. Jewish Family Services was very great at letting people come in for 10 or $15 to talk mm-hmm. about their issues with trained therapists. In LA, mm-hmm. we have a place called Venice Family Center, which is also available for mental and physical health. And I'm wondering in Northern California, if, if you might have places like that, which are very, very reasonable. I've heard of Jewish Family Services many years ago when I was just trying to find something. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know, it didn't work out at the time. Maybe it was financial. Um, I've not heard of the second one. Um, I reached out to Cora today just to try something else again. Uh, I went through every phone number I could find. Um, I, um I was told to look into certain dialectical behavior therapy and you know, get more training, which I understand because at this point I so beyond trying uh, being able to manage effectively um, when verbally I can't stop situations that I'm living with, then I can't verbally also express it anywhere. Right. And I, I, I know I'm at fault for having any expectations. Um, well, 
Well, so so this is what um, so this is what I'd like to offer to you. Um, first of all, you're allowed to have expectations every once in a while, especially when you're in a in a place where you need help. Um, it's very reasonable, and I would give yourself the grace of that. Second of all, what I'd like to do is have our engineer pop back on the line. We'll put you on hold and we'll pop back on the line. Steve might want to say some, one other thing after I um, chime in here. And we can offline try to offer you some more comprehensive help that we don't have the um, time to give you justice to right now. But we'd like to be able to follow, if you're receptive to that, follow through with you. And maybe we could actually give you um, a little bit more concrete of an ear and more concrete resources um, to learn a little bit more about what it is that you need. Would you be receptive to that does that help sure thank you i appreciate that all right well it's our pleasure to do so that's why we're here we appreciate your candor and um it's a it's brave to say things like this to strangers on a, on a radio station on a radio show and we want to honor that number one i also think sometimes it's really easy again i don't know you i know for myself when i get caught in the cycle and the spiral of looking for help and then it's just um the bureaucracy gets in the way it happened to me this morning and trying to deal with um some medicaid issues for my father and I was crying mm -hmm. to somebody on the phone asking for exactly what you're bringing up, different different situation, but looking for the humanity mm -hmm. inside of something. And I had to really check myself and get off the phone and not look at the whole world as being that way and just remembering mm -hmm. that was one call because, like you said, you can. it's easy sometimes to start projecting that out too when, you, when the world continues to be disappointing. So I'd rather be able to mm -hmm. give you a little bit more time offline um, if we can. And uh, so if you could just stay on, we'll ask Jeff to pop on. I'll put you on hold. And then we can um, we can connect with you in whatever way you're comfortable, and we'll give you some more concrete help if you like. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Maria. Hold on, please. Um, so that's definitely yeah, that's that's a that's a it's it's hard when especially when you're feeling alone and you're in a spiral of need and you don't feel empathy from the world if you don't have the resources or the support system directly in your space. Uh, it's it's a it's a tough place to look outside. Um, it's try it's to find so love. true in regards to bureaucracies. Yeah. Because we have the medical system we have. And then I thought, well, it's better in Europe. And mm -hmm. I was talking to my friend in Germany. And he said, once if I have an, a problem, it could take four to eight months to get in to see a physician. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Obviously, have you, if you have an emergency, you'll go to the hospital. But the system, some people say, works better that way, more socialistic kind of medicine. It's, it's all very difficult because bureaucracies make empathy almost impossible. Mm. It's such a, this is um, not a direction we were anticipating today, and it's such an important one. So we thank Maria for, for, for the, you know, just to, to open up our lens even wider, which is that, right, if empathy is going to start with us as individuals toward ourselves, and we will talk a little bit more about that as we get deeper into the show, how can it possibly flower out to the biggest level of a bureaucracy or a government where if we're not, we're not founded on that as individuals, how can we possibly hope that, you know, we're going to, we're going to feel it mirrored back to us in a bigger That's level? Right. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, which is a really disheartening and um, and sobering concept. So we're going to try to help more specifically. We'll get back to Maria. Um, before we get to our next caller, I see I'm lining up here uh, in our system. Let's talk a little bit about the spectrum of empathy and <laughs> my favorite topic, narcissism. Is that um, your favorite, Kelly? Oh, it is my favorite. No, it's, it's actually, you know, because I was brought up by a mother on the narcissistic spectrum, and I'm still at the mercy of, you know, even though I'm grown now and have different tools and a different lens through which I deal with her, it's a very difficult, painful existence, and it's definitely, um, yes, it's a big sensitivity for me is dealing mm -hmm. with people that lack empathy because, you know, I've had to endure that for 57 and a half years. So, yes, I'm sensitive to this. Um, so let's talk a little bit more intelligently. I'll put that to you, maybe a little more objectively, even though you know both sides of the spectrum, too. Um, let's just talk a little bit about the fact that they really are opposite sides of the same coin. Yes. Uh, wh why don't we start with your favorite one, okay. which is narcissism. Mm -hmm. 
So we could say that um, everybody understands the narcissist. The narcissist was from the Greek and a young boy looking at his reflection in a pool of water mm-hmm. and falling in love with himself. <laughs> now, everybody can fall in love with themselves or hate themselves at a young age, right? But the idea was that um, self being too self-possessed disallows other people from coming in. Right. That your main concern and all of your needs generate around yourself. Mm. So there's not a lot of room for anybody at all. And and malignant narcissism, which is really the extreme, there's no room for anybody. And you have to dominate all conversations. And it's all about me, 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 me. Now, on the all the way on the other end, if we can find them, are the empaths. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the empaths are people who are so tuned into others to the extreme that it's hard to think about themselves. Right. And I I gave you an example when we were doing our pre-production meeting or our production meeting uh, of a client that I had that would walk down what we have here as a walking street called the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. And she would hear everybody's voices when they were talking to themselves. So she would hear their thoughts. She would feel their feelings. And it was so much that she would often have to run into stores and hide. Amazing. Because it was overwhelming. So that's the extreme. And they're in that extreme of empaths, there are different degrees and intensities of that kind of thing. And it's it's interesting too, because often one is born of the other, right? As a reaction to what you're what you were exposed to. You can either sort of mirror your models, your parents, your family of origin. You know, I know that um, I think about myself. Um, I think about, and again, we'll, we'll talk more about this too, because there's also the question is empathy. Um, are you born with empathy or are you taught empathy? Mm-hmm. And also narcissism is something that people will say is a hybrid between DNA and, um, nature and nurture combo, mm-hmm. depending on how you deal with your own, you know, traumas that you yeah, were exposed to absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so it's interesting. I always think of the pendulum. If you're on one side of the pendulum or if you're born to somebody on a narcissistic spectrum, often what you'll do as a little kid reacting to that kind of homeostasis or lack thereof in your family is you learn to read the room a little too much at the expense of your own needs, at the expense of your own desires, at the expense of your own voice, because you're so tuned into navigating the waters. You and I can speak that language. Yeah, um, I I was definitely, um, as you know, a professional placator <laughs> when I was growing up in my home. And um, my mother was very empathetic and taught me a lot of heart-centered listening and understanding of others. My father, I don't, I wouldn't call him a narcissist, but he didn't care that much. He was mm. rather indifferent. And I learned a lot from him, probably just as much because I never wanted to be like that. Mm-hmm. And so we can learn from both models, and we do. So first of all, how do you, do you think it's one more than the other? Do you think it's more nature and nurture? Or do you think it's equal in terms of what creates empathy and what creates narcissism? Well, the funny thing we were talking about dogs and cats. Oh, yeah. I love this little analogy. Yeah. Having had gerbils, rabbits, dogs, (laughs) cats, and all kinds of insects (laughs) when our kids were growing up, um, I know that all of these wonderful beings come in with personalities. And some are more empathetic than others. Cats obviously tend to be less empathetic than dogs. But they are always wanting strokes, so they appear to be very empathetic. Dogs are really liking to lick you because they love you so much. So with people, um, I would say, listen, if if the nurture or if the nature is empathetic, 
then the nurture is just going to create a, a, an abundance of it. Mm-hmm. But if, if you don't have a lot of nurture and the family is open-hearted and wants to know about you as you're growing up, you'll develop a lot of empathy for others. Mm-hmm. It's a complex question. Do you want to um, you want to just button that up with the tarantula reference because it's so good and it's something I'd never <laughs> heard before what, my before we go to break? Well, I've been in the animal rights movement for a long time, and uh, there was somebody in our group who collects tarantulas, and uh, he said that his tarantula, oh, not only his tarantula, but also his rat, both of those were pets, and, and also the most loving, some of the most loving animals that he's ever met, both of them wanting to kiss him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he knew that is interesting. That's probably a story for another day. And um, and quite riveting to think about somebody feeling so lovey with a tarantula. It's an, <laughs> it must have been a very interesting, interesting character. Quarter relationship, right? yes. Right. So we're going to jump to break. When we come back, we're going to take our next caller who's been patiently holding on the line. We're going to talk more about the building blocks to um, to successful relationships via how we find empathy and some of the different nuances and levels of empathy for ourselves and for other people. We will be right back. welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everybody, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are talking about the concept of empathy. We Just before the break, we're talking about the spectrum, the opposite sides of the same coin between empathy on one side and narcissism on the other. Is empathy something that, and narcissism, are they something that develop through nature, through nurture, or a combo platter? And uh, in the next few minutes, we'll talk a little bit more deeply about different versions of empathy and how we can learn to grow them, conjure them up in the face of challenges with um, our experiences and with our relationships. Well, first, we're going to take our next caller. Hi, caller. Are you on the line? I am. Hello. Hi. Hello. Who's this and where are you calling from? My name is Sheila, and I'm calling from outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Hello, join, thanks for joining us. Do you have a comment or a question or a sordid I tale do. to share? First, yeah, first of all, I'd like to say that I really enjoy your show. Um, thank and thank you for being on the air and helping people like Maria, because I think you showed some true empathy. And I feel that she'll really get some help today by tuning in. Um, thank you. And secondly, I'd like to... Uh, just comment on something that you were talking about with animals. Um, a thought came to mind as I was listening to you talk about the empathy of animals, which is something that the owner of a local pet store told me, <laughs> which was, <laughs> she, <laughs> and this, this was very censuring. He basically, when I talked about some of the animals in the shop, I was actually there to pick up some stuff from my son's school, but, you know, I commented on how the rabbit might feel, and he looked at me and said, um, I need to remind my customers occasionally that a rabbit is experiencing what a rabbit experiences, and <laughs> oftentimes all humans project onto animals mm. that they're experiencing something human. So, again, this is just a thought that came to mind when I was thinking about cats and dogs because... Yes, dogs do seem more empathetic than cats, but are they? I don't know. <laughs> Only mm. the dogs know, Is right? You... Or maybe not. Maybe we do not. I mean, man's best friend. So anyway, again, just sharing a thought. Um, but going forward, um, 
as I'm listening, one of the questions that I did have was, you know, what happens when empathy goes to an extreme? And I think you kind Mm -hmm. of addressed that when you were talking about narcissist and the flip side of narcissism, which is empathy. But um, again, you're going forward into talking about ways that we can become more empathetic and how do we do that? How do we get there? And um, for me, a, an experience that I'm having is in caring for my elderly mother who is entering mm-hmm. another stage of aging. And um, I happen to be of an age where I'm starting to experience some of those things myself. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I can feel for her in a different way that I haven't been able to, but not so much from a place of empathy as from a place of true shared experience. And I'll give you a quick Mm. example. She's 85 years old. It's difficult for her to open jars and, uh, you know, just use her hands. And um, recently I was gardening in the rain and it was cold here in Massachusetts on that Sunday and became stiff and my hands got so stiff that I had to run them under water to get them to move again. And even then I couldn't move them enough to zipper my jacket. Mm-hmm. And then I thought of my mother and what that is and to be in that place. So I think that, I mean, as Steve said, empathy is complex. There's so many things that happen to us as human beings. So one is it empathy. One is it, um, a sh- again, just a life experience where suddenly, you know, now, you know, and, you know, sometimes what looks like you're not being empathetic is just you on the path of getting there. So mm. <laughs> I don't nice. really have a question, but you're, yeah. you're going in that direction to talk about how do we become more empathetic? What do we do? What, you know, how can we do this and also have healthy boundaries while we're doing it? Right. So if you could speak Beautiful. to that, I'm listening. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, thank you for all the beautiful thoughts and words you just did. There's so much juicy stuff that you just said. So thank you for all of it. I hope we can, um, we could, uh, speak to, um, all of it satisfactorily. Um, the one thing that comes to mind as you're telling the story about your, um, you know, the opening of the jars with your hands is that there's, it, it makes me smile. It's a, it's a, you know, a, um, uh, a, a small and simple and, um, example of daily activity, but where that it feels like there's some magic, maybe perhaps maybe for you or not, but for other people in similar situations where uh, just at the moment where you need to be reminded or need to have an experience that conjures up some more empathy for, in this case, your mom, it sort of happens in those magical ways, almost like it's being given to you from a higher place. That's sort of what kind of struck me. Um, and even if not, even if that's too woo, the fact that in, in answer to your question about how do you conjure up more empathy, the fact that you even took the, had the presence of mind to notice that and take it in and drink it in and use it toward whatever energy, you know, you've been feeling towards your mom to me is, is a, is a huge step right there, you know, just as one little example. And I, I yeah, and I would concur that what we're going to talk about during the rest of the hour is vulnerability and how empathy can be augmented and increased by really facing those parts of yourself that you feel vulnerable about. This happened to me. Callie knows this story all too well, but I was sick for about three years with Epstein-Barr virus and it was very virulent and I had brain inflammation And one of the things that I learned and it was most crucial was that I wasn't as compassionate and as empathetic as I could be toward myself, even though I thought I had that down in spades before I got ill. And I would say that it made a sea change in my behavior. I've always been very empathetic, but even a sea change was made in terms of how much I felt for other people's suffering because I had never suffered the way I did with that illness. Mm -hmm. And so that's another area of being vulnerable, being forced to be vulnerable, and that leading to something very important in terms of being empathetic. 
The other thing too, to, to Sheila's uh, question and comment about um, having almost too much empathy, maybe not to the degree to, um, to which you mentioned earlier with your a friend or client that right. was, you know, absorbing, every, you know, highly sensitive person absorbing everybody's energy of strangers on the street, which is a whole separate piece, which requires um, creating boundaries and doing work to have your separation, <laughs> create more separation and less, maybe less unity. Um, but I also think there is such a thing as having too much empathy at the expense of your own voice and your own uh, well-being, nice. and that that's always just a you know um, just a matter. And I've experienced that too. Again, I think it depends on what your um, wiring is. You know, so if you're raised, um, I can only really speak to my own experience. If I'm raised in a home where I'm not, uh, one parent doesn't know empathy, and I'm also busy, really unconsciously developing all of these tools to navigate that kind of a, you know, a home, it's almost similar to somebody that's got, um, you know, again, somebody with mental illness or a substance abuse problem where there's one person who's really dictating and dominating the energy of an entire household. Um, you know, the beauty that comes out of it, which I'm going to, I'm kind of covering a few different points here at the same time, because there are many gifts that come from these things when you might be overdeveloping in certain areas. It also creates wonderful um, gifts and abilities, uh, including empathy or being able to listen or having a more open heart than you might if you didn't grow up in that family. Um, but at the same time, it does also have the potential to create a lack of boundaries where you're overextending and you're so conditioned to do that, that it's at the expense of your own voice. So like for me, I got really good at that for many years and it's only in the last, I don't know, 25 years of therapy. And then even in the last 10 years or a few years, as I've deepened my practice and deepened my therapy and deepened my focus on all this, that I've had to scale back and sort of, you find your middle ground. So um, that's a lot, a lot of, you know, big mouthful, but I think that this comes in so many different nuances that it's hard to, uh, delineate, you know, all the different ways that it, um, impacts, you can't sort of make it universal. Um, but let's talk more about the, uh, the ways that we can create empathy since that was Thank really you. a core question of Sheila's. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you. much, Sheila. Do you want to start? I can start. Please do. So um, let's go back to a show we had a few weeks ago on emotional intelligence. And um, Daniel Goldman and Daniel, Daniel Goldman in the mid 90s wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. And empathy was one of the key phrases that he used, how to develop empathy. And um, what's important about emotional intelligence is that prior to that, IQ was the most important thing in terms of success in the world. And then after that book, it's like AD and BC here. After that book, uh, a combination of intelligence and emotional intelligence was the way to have good relationships, was the way to begin to understand yourself. Uh, he provided wonderful techniques to uh, learn about your vulnerabilities, to learn about your emotions, to regulate yourself, to uh, express yourself better. All of those pieces are part of the empathy uh, topic. Mm -hmm. So how do you do it? Um, well, what we were talking about to Sheila was a wonderful way to do it is through really walking toward yourself and the difficult parts of of you and your personality and getting to know them. Everything inside of us wants to be known. And so some of those things seem really frightening and dangerous, but they're really there to grow us. And so how do I become empathetic? Walk gently toward those parts of yourself that seem dangerous, unknown, and frightening. That need empathy. They do. Badly. And I think even to back up for a moment before we go further with this is that, and, and this is in and of itself sort of an interesting kind of meta thing that's coming up for me is, you know, how do you conjure up empathy? First, you have to want to. And isn't that sort of an interesting dynamic? Because most people that want to be um, empathic are 
<laughs> you already have like an inclination right. toward it. And if you don't, do you care? Right. <laughs> you know, unless you're in a relationship or someone's asking it of you and you have the ability and the open, you know, the willingness and the cognizance to do so, you know, it's sort of inside of that. You have to really want to number one, most people aren't doing it unsolicited or they already are empathic to some and degree. I, th I think right? a lot of that does come from love relationships. Yeah. I think when you love somebody, you're willing to step out of your box or to, as you said, walk in the other person's moccasins to understand them better because you like the love that's coming towards you. Right, right. So with that, let's let's continue on the on the path that you were on. I mean, you and and you say this a lot. This this is a common bottom line that really pervades most everything we talk about on the show, but it is especially relevant to empathy, which like you said, has to do with giving it to yourself first and getting right. digging in, sitting with all the parts of yourself that might be uncomfortable and getting vulnerable with yourself first as a way to develop your vulnerability and openness toward other people. Absolutely. So you and I have both done that. Just I mean, a little. I, a little. We've done it a little. <laughs> And um, what do I say about it? it? It kind of started early for me because, as I said, my mother was very empathetic and my father was very difficult and indifferent. And I, like you, um, had to perform as an adult, as a child. So I was one of these people called an adult child. Mm -hmm. A man boy? Man, boy, everybody, there was a lot of chaos in my family. Yeah, us too. And so I was forced to try to satisfy and fulfill people's needs in order to create peace in my home. Mm -hmm. Now, that was an education. I think that's where it started for me. Mm -hmm. Kind of trying to figure out what I need to do so my father doesn't rage. Mm -hmm. Well, I needed a lot of empathy, didn't I? And so where did that come from? I had to dig deep inside of myself, try to understand him better so I could provide him with the right thing so he wouldn't scream all the time. It's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, it's a fascinating dynamic because when we're, and you and I share this trajectory in, in deeply. Um, deeply. So when, when it, very deeply. So when it's happening, we're not conscious of it because we're just kids trying to survive in difficult, tumultuous households. Then you grow up and the beautiful parts of it blossom, like the parts where you're empathic and you can read a room and you have a sensitivity and you're a great listener and you're a great question asker. And, you know, I'm just generalizing in our cases. These are some of the benefits of what happened in our respective households. And then we also became overextending where it was at the expense of our own voice and our own needs for many years. We both perfected that art form too. And then you got to kind of swing back toward the middle where you can marry both of those sides right? Well said. Exactly. That's what we both tried to do because I had very unhealthy boundaries. I took what I learned in my family and I always try to provide other people's needs first and mine second. Mm -hmm. And as much as good as I was at that, and I was a master it would always leave me unhappy and frustrated and annoyed and angry. Mm -hmm. And so relationships of mine always broke up. So I would start as being the knight with a shining armor. And then I'd be <laughs> the angry, mad dog who wasn't getting my needs met. Mm -hmm. Ditto. Ditto. Over here. Exactly. We're learning a lot about each other today. We're actually not. <laughs> um but uh yes ditto in terms of like our parallel lives with this but we do we're, we're joking because we know this about each other um the other part of this too i'm just sort of thinking about it is um so you're hyper developed if you you know as an empath if you're if you're reacting to a family of a certain type right, right. um the other piece of it is certain people will mirror those same behaviors and grow up the same way where they they live on that side of the, of the spectrum as well, where they lack empathy. It's kind of, again, it's the same thing. It's just a gratification of or defense against the same emotion, right? In psychological terms, trying to speak yeah. your language. You got it. Um, so 
Let's back up a little bit to, again to your point, which is the empathy for self, which is really the core of creating, uh, of developing empathy at all. Um, we've used this in recent shows that there's a great Buddhist sort of adage that you you should be a great friend to yourself, treat yourself as you would your best friend. It's such a basic, simple premise, and yet most of us have a really hard time with it. Very difficult and, to do. Right. And then the more we can stay open-hearted toward ourselves, walk toward the difficult challenges, um, embrace them, uh, they dissolve, and vulnerability becomes more of the core of who you are and allows more space to open up for other people. It's really a formulaic thing. It really does work. It does work. And the thing that I want to emphasize universally for people, there are parts of our personality that we like. There are parts of personality that we don't like. And there are parts of it that we're scared of. All of those belong to us, but that's why it can be so difficult to be empathic because going inside and being vulnerable is a scary thing. Sometimes we have to be forced into it. Mm-hmm. And so I mentioned the love relationship often forces us into it or maybe an illness. Um, an illness can do it. An accident can do it. Things that make us feel vulnerable, experiences, losses of all kinds that make us feel vulnerable are oftentimes, if we use them well, for great growth. You hear those stories so much of people that, you know, have suffered great loss and then it became the greatest, uh, great loss, great challenges, great devastation. And because it opened them up and made them more vulnerable, it became the greatest gift that they could ever have been given. Oprah actually on her, on the trailer to the me, nobody, um, the me that you nobody sees or right. the me you don't see the docuseries about mental health that she's been doing with, um, Harry and Megan, um, at all a huge team of impressive people. And in the first show she talks or trailer, she talks about how, um, she would never forgo some of the most um, difficult travesties of her life because they've all given her deep empathy for people that have had the same experience now, you know, as she developed her adulthood and her career and all that. So recognize that the things that aren't so pretty and all the ugly and shadowy parts are actually our greatest gifts if we're just willing to embrace them and give them a little right. extra love. Um, the other piece, we'll get to our action steps momentarily. These are just a few other little kind of stragglers that we want to offer to people is the idea of um, conjuring up empathy um, while in the, like in the face of self-protection or for exactly the same people that were the sort of perpetrators against you, um, creating whatever trauma you had in your life, creating whatever abuse you suffered. Um, you have an amazing, I don't know if, do you want to share that story about one of your um, clients who sent a lot of love to her partner's inner Child. Yes, one of my clients, obviously never named, but uh, she was in a verbally, not a physically, but a verbally abusive relationship for many, many years, maybe 10 years. And we did something very esoteric. Um, we tried talking, we tried communicating, we tried a lot of things, and then we did something esoteric. I usually do the esoteric thing <laughs> later on. Okay, mm-hmm. just gotta so warm pe- them up for warm the crowd up first, just so people understand. And um, what I had her do was to meditate on her husband as a very deprived an abandoned young boy. And first we looked at him and we came up with all of his uh, uh, kind of the different nuances of his personality and what happened to him in that environment. And then she began to see him with magic sauce, empathy. Mm. And as she saw him with empathy, instead of grief and scorn, Then what began to happen, I had her meditate on the boy. And she did that for probably a week and a half, every day religiously. And then on the ninth day, her husband came to her and made mad, passionate love with her for the first (laughs) time in 10 years. 
Amazing. And without his knowledge that she was doing this exercise, right? Ever. Oh never. My it's so good. That is so good. I love that story. God bless them. There's so many jokes I can make, but I won't do that at, at her expense. <laughs> um, but it's uh, that's a beautiful story, and it just shows the power of how much we can do on our own without the um, receptivity or cooperation of another person in the same way, right? It's pretty right, amazing. Exactly. Um, so before we get to our action steps, and we're going to breeze through those pretty quickly, I also wanted to say, you know, one of the one of the things I'm walking this line very, very seriously now for the, especially the last two years is with elderly parents with a lot of stuff going on and a lot of troubles and a lot of challenges that you know um, we're facing and trying to deal with this chapter. And we'll go into all of them now to find empathy for who they are and what they need combined with making sure I take care of myself after years of having to unwork and, and work around a lot of lifelong trauma is a really wild ride. And it's moment to moment, second to second. It's not a unilateral thing. I even came to this today. I will. I don't know that I will ever have a unilateral agreement with myself that it's just going to feel this way or it's just going to feel that way. It's moment to moment. Sometimes I'm empathetic. Sometimes I'm furious. Sometimes I retreat because I need to protect myself. Sometimes I jump in again and feel a little bit more compassion or a little bit more empathy. So it's a process and it's like it's a work in progress as well, this sort of dynamic of walking these lines. And that's a very abbreviated version of that story. Um, but I feel everybody who's going through it. Action steps, ways that you can develop empathy. The first one is self-assessment. Ask yourself, are there places where you could be more empathic? Make a list of these, select one person, and maybe write down the ways you could be more understanding of their situation. Second, if you're feeling brave and courageous enough after doing number one, can you email that person that you selected and let them know how much you care about them, how much you understand what they've been through? And number three, since vulnerability, as we've said, is a pathway toward empathy, are there areas of vulnerability that you avoid because they're too difficult? We'll make a list of them and try to walk gently toward them. We guarantee that as you try to get to know these vulnerable spots in you, you will feel, you won't feel as fearful and you will be able to raise your empathy quotient. So we'll repeat those. We'll actually have those action steps on our Instagram post because um, I'll, I'll review them really, really quickly one more time. Um, Self-assessment, ask yourself if there's places where you could be more empathetic. Number two, after you've made that list, maybe there's one person you wanna target that you'd like to email and actually share with them how much you feel for them and how much you love them. And number three, look at this um, versions of uh, vulnerability in your life and try to make a list and get more in touch with them. With that, we wanna thank everybody for joining us. Thank you for our dear um, callers to call for calling in. Find us on Instagram at One Soul Radio, Facebook, One Soul Radio Podcast. Please engage with us. Let us know topics and questions that you might like to pose and join us next week at the same place, same time, where we're going to talk about the beauty of uncertainty in an uncertain world. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.